Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Continuing this study on how we live out our faith. So this is a study, I think, that puts, uh, puts us in a position where we need to know, are we truly living out our lives in the way that God wants us to? Allow me to read this passage. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. But if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful time of worship. Lord, to lift our voices on high. Lord, to sing these words of praise. Lord, we also worship you as we study your word. We pray that you'll open our hearts to your truths and show us how easy it is for us to sin against you and what we must do in order to overcome that temptation. Lord, guide us. Help us to understand your desire for us to live in a way that always brings honor and glory to you and your name. And Lord, that shows the world around us that you truly are the answer. Lord, help us to live out our faith each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If we're truly Christians, then we need to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Why do we show favoritism? Why do we sin? Why do we do the things that are not pleasing in God's eyes? Now, as Christians, we know that God set a standard for us to live by. Uh, The Jewish people basically had the first five books of our Bible, the the Law of Moses, and they knew it pretty well. They were... uh, taught this as they were growing up. Many of them memorized large passages of Scripture because they didn't have it written. And then we get to Exodus chapter 20, and God kind of condenses all of His laws into what we know as the Ten Commandments. Ten laws. You would think it would be pretty easy for us to memorize and to to live by a, a simple list of ten do's and don'ts, right? Well, if you go back to the Jewish faith, the Scribes and the Pharisees, they wrote volumes and volumes of what it took in order for you to obey those Ten Commandments. The law of the Sabbath, they dictated how many steps you could take, how much you could lift, all sorts of different requirements and limitations on what it took to obey the laws of God. But then Jesus came along and he did the entirely opposite. He said, let's quit thinking about the the letter of the law. And let's look at the heart of the law. Do you remember Jesus in what we just got through studying in the Sermon on the Mount? 
he said, the law says you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you have lust in your heart towards a woman, you have already committed adultery in your heart. In other words, you're a sinner against adultery without ever committing the actual act of adultery. And so what Jesus was saying is, it's really a heart matter. In order to fulfill the laws of God, we need to examine the heart. And that's exactly what this is all about. So we look and James is continuing to talk about partiality. If you were here last week, we dealt with how we look at other people. The scripture was talking about a rich man coming into the assembly and people just oohed and all over him, gave him the best seat in the house and a poor man in his dirty clothes came in. They said, mm, why don't you go way over there or just sit on the ground. We don't have a place for you. And so it's easy for us to show partiality. Each and every one of us grow, grew up with certain prejudices. We all did. And so we have to look and examine our own hearts to see what it is that is keeping us from living out our faith that is guided by God and His will and His words. We got Ten Commandments, and Jesus told us to look at the heart. Well, then a man came along one day and asked Jesus, well, what is the greatest of these commandments? See, some of the Jews had this wrong idea if if I could just keep one commandment perfectly, then that's good enough. Well, Jesus basically said, well, the greatest commandment is this. And it's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You take what was known at that day of the Bible, the Old Testament, and Jesus says, if you keep these two commandments, you are keeping the word of God in your heart. Amazing. All of the five, first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, were condensed down to ten commandments. And Jesus comes along and condenses those down to two simple statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the, the foremost and greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Two simple commandments. So why is James having to write this? Because we're not keeping those two simple commandments. So let's look at verse 8. It begins with the word if. Anytime you see the word if, there's usually a then either printed or inferred. And basically this time is, is, is inferred. So he says, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, and the royal law he even states is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then is the implied then you are doing well. So the if part is if you are fulfilling the royal law, well, I'll just share with you what the royal law is. It's what Jesus had condensed all the laws into. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the royal law. 
And so James kind of assumed, since every time he basically says, he says, my brethren, he is assuming that his audience, those who he is writing to, are Christians, that they have already placed God as supreme in their lives, that they do love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so now he's dealing with the, how they're living it out. How are you living as this child of God? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And he uses a, a positive if-then statement. If you are fulfilling or if you are keeping this royal law, then you're doing well. In other words, you are showing unconditional love towards others. You're not looking at somebody else according to their dress, how much money they have, the status they have in society. You are treating each other as equals, as loved of God. You're not distinguishing between one person and another because of any prejudices, any partiality. So he's saying, you know, if you're doing that, case closed. You're doing well. But what if you're not doing that? Well, that's the whole purpose of this message. We look and we see that if you're keeping these things, you're doing well. God's pleased. Everything's great. You're showing the true compassion, unconditional love. But look at verse 9. Another if statement. If you do show partiality, implied then, then you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we first saw the positive. If you are keeping the law, praise the Lord. You're doing great. God's pleased. You're, doing, you're living out your faith. But if you do show partiality, then you are committing sin. You're breaking God's laws. You are now convicted by God who is your judge, and you are now considered a transgressor of the law. You are a lawbreaker. Well, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Are you a lawbreaker? I am. I broke the law this morning. I sped. I broke the speed limit. Did any of y'all do that? Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you accidentally put a pen in your pocket or your purse that didn't belong to you? Took a paper clip from work, then you're a thief. Broken the law. Well, thank goodness you didn't murder anybody. Hope. See, we tend to do this. Well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Didn't hurt anybody. So we don't consider ourselves as lawbreakers. Well, Steve, you're getting into the letter of the law, aren't you? Isn't that what Jesus tried to get away from? How about the heart of the law? Well, we're going to get to that. See, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. We have all broken not only the physical laws of this land, but we've also broken the moral laws of God. And you know what? We don't have to break them all. We don't have to break most of them. 
We don't even have to break the big ones like murder and adultery, which we'll get to in just a moment. We just have to break one of them, even the most minor one in our opinion. That makes us lawbreakers. See, if you break any part of the law, then you have broken the law. And that's exactly what James is saying in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, one point, has become guilty of all. That's why I use uh, the Roman road as a part of a plan of salvation, because it begins with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. It, it begins with the simple fact that we are all lawbreakers. We are all sinners in the eyes of God. And so James is just sharing with us the truth. If we have broken any portion of the law of God, as minor as we think it might be, we've broken the law. We've broken it all. So, well, if we've broken the law, we might as well just break all of them, right? If we're already guilty of one and we've broken the law, then what's to stop us from breaking the rest of them? God. Man one day asked Paul, well, you know, if, if grace is given more when we sin, then let's sin all the more so that grace may abound. It's found in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. If you have the King James Version, it says, God forbid. May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? No, we're not just to say, well, I've already broken the law, I might as well just keep breaking them. No big deal. If I'm already guilty, I'm guilty. No, that's not the way that God works, and we all know that. The question must be asked, why do we break the law? And what do we do when we break the law? See, if we're truly a child of God, the why is simple. We've taken our own lives into our own hands. We're living out our lives by our own desires, and we have negated God's desires. We pushed his Holy Spirit to the side and said, I'm going to live by my means, by my desires, instead of yours. So that's why we sin. So what do we do when we sin? Well, We've got to confess that sin, got to repent of it, turn away from it, allow God to forgive us of that sin, to cleanse us from the unrighteousness of that sin, and to restore us into a right relationship with Him, which means that the Holy Spirit is once again in control of our whole entire being. But here's what we tend to do, and I think all of us as Christians are to some degree guilty of this. We kind of put a point system on what we do in life. You know, we kind of arbitrarily set a point on the bad things we do. You know, if we did commit murder, well, that's, that's a high point. But if we, eh, we just told a little fib, that's a low point. And then we kind of do the same thing with the good things. If we, if we rescued somebody from dying, well, that, man, that's, that's way on up here. That's a lot of good points. 
If we bless somebody after they sneeze, well, that's, that's kind of a low point value. And we kind of have this mentality that if we put all the bad points high and low and all the good points high and low together and, and averaged them out, are we in the asset or the debit? Are we in the plus or the minus? As long as we're a little bit in the plus, we feel like, well, God's probably pleased with us. Especially in comparison to the rest of the world. That's our mentality too often. We compare ourselves with how other people live and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Or I do a lot more good than I do bad, so I think God's overall pleased with me. It's not how God works. See, God uses the law of liberty. And that's what it says in verse 10. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. But before we get to that, he actually used two different laws found in the Ten Commandments. And for whatever reason, James chose the most heinous of the two laws, murder and adultery. Both of those acts against God, against man, deserve the death penalty, murder and adultery. And he says, you know, if, if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you may think this is pretty good. I could have done both. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but do commit murder, you're still a transgressor of the law. Just because you didn't go ahead and do both of them doesn't mean that you're a good person. You've broken the law. You know, he could have used much less severe laws and made the exact same statement. It would have been just as accurate. So what is Jesus is saying, or what's the Lord saying to us in verse 12? So speak, so act. In other words, by your mannerisms, by how you live your life, by how you live out your life, act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Well, dealing with a lot of laws here, aren't we? What is the law of liberty? Well, it's basically the law of God that says, I want to give you freedom. Freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the guilt of your sin. Well, that law was placed some 2,000 years ago when Jesus, the perfect Son of God, died in our place for our sins and paid the penalty of our sin, death. And when he came out of that tomb, he proved that God had accepted his ultimate sacrifice for our sin, and he not only forgave us of our sins, gave us salvation, but he also gave us his gift of eternal life. That is the law of liberty. So if, again, we speak and we act as we are being judged by the law of liberty, then we are living according to God's will. And so if God expects us that we will live out our faith in all that we say and do, if we live out our faith and, and how we think and desire, if we live out our faith by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to, to work in us and through us so that everything that comes out of us is of God, then we are truly fulfilling the law of liberty. And we will be judged by that law of liberty. 
As we allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives, we should naturally allow this law of liberty to be in control. But what about when we sin? See, as a child of God, when we come to salvation, the Bible's very clear. Jesus says, as I leave this place, I am sending a comforter to be with you who will live in you, dwell with you. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a child of God at the moment of salvation to begin doing what I call a transformation from the inside out. He begins to take those evil thoughts and desires and he starts to transform those into that which is controlled by him, the presence of God in our lives. And as he begins this transformation, he begins to change the way we think. Before a person comes to salvation, a lot of people know about the Bible. They know about the Ten Commandments. They've probably heard them somewhere along the way. They probably have read them on a wall somewhere. And they know that their actions are against God. And they may feel a little guilty, but that's about it. But what about us as a child of God? How do we react? How does it affect us? When we break God's law, well, this isn't written here, but I, I felt compelled as I was studying this. How does God look at us when we deliberately break his law? And it really gave me a picture of growing up. I'll share with you that my mom and dad were godly people. Were they saints? Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But they loved me and my sister. And they wanted the best for us. And part of being the best for us was to live according to God's principles in life. And so they taught us the Word of God. They taught us how to live a life according to the Word of God. And they set their own rules and regulations around the house. They had expectations of me and my sister. And when we deliberately disobeyed their laws, we got punished. They did the old-fashioned way. My mom actually took my own belt and gave me a spanking with it. Now, for a long time, I just couldn't understand why she would do something that mean to me. I mean, I wasn't that bad of a kid, was I? As I grew a little bit older, it finally sank in. When she did it, there were tears in her eyes. I realized I was breaking her heart because I was not being obedient. If my mom, a godly lady, if it was breaking her heart when I disobeyed her, what does God feel when we break his laws? When we're disobedient, deliberately disobedient to him? See, we're not just breaking the law of God, we're breaking God's heart. Does God really have a heart? Well, he definitely has emotions. We see it throughout the Word of God. It broke God's heart to look down upon the sinfulness of man when he, asked, when he gave Noah the chore of building an ark that would save him and his family and wipe out the rest of all civilization. It broke God's heart 
to look at the evilness of man that day. What does it do today when I deliberately sin against God? It breaks his heart. So we are truly looking at the judgment of the law of liberty. God gives us liberty. But that liberty is not so that we can live any way that we want to. It is so that we can know that we're forgiven when we confess our sins to him. And that he is willing and able to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness and restore us into that right relationship with him. That's the gift of mercy. And that's what he talks about in verse 13. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We look at mercy. What is mercy? Well, by the simplest definition, it's not getting what we rightfully deserve. You and I, as sinners against God, we rightfully deserve eternal death, eternal punishment, eternal hell. That's what we deserve. But because of God's mercy, he's saying, I am not going to condemn you because you have placed your faith in me. So what is he saying? For judgment will be merciless to one who shows no mercy. He's saying it doesn't matter if you walked down an aisle and shook a pastor's hand and went through the baptismal waters. It doesn't matter. Are you living out a faith that is real? Are you showing the same mercy that God has shown you? Are you living out that mercy by showing mercy towards others? If God has shown mercy towards you by forgiving you of your sins and giving you his gift of eternal life, then are you showing that same mercy towards others? Are you showing people the Roman road again, that God showed his love to you and that while you were still yet a sinner, Christ died for you? Wow. He did that. Mercy. Grace, they're all opposite sides of the same coin. God shows mercy. And then he says, if you're my child, you need to show mercy too. If there is no mercy, then I will show no mercy. That's God's simple way of judging us. If there's no mercy in our hearts, if there's no compassion, no, no love towards others then his love is not in us to share. That's really the simple evidence that we see. If we're showing constant partiality towards others, and we're saying, you know, I don't care what God's word says, I'm going to be biased, I'm going to be prejudiced, I'm going to be showing partiality, I don't care what God says, then we're not showing mercy, and God will not show mercy towards us. For judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. That's what the Word of God says. I'm not making this up. That's one of the key ways that God knows if we're His children. is if we're showing His love to the world around us. Regardless of who's around us. So we look. Notice those last four words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You take that two different ways. How do we judge others? That we shouldn't be judging others. We should be showing them mercy. How does God judge us? 
Well, when he looks at our heart and our hearts are true to him, we're living out our faith, then mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy is sufficient. His love is sufficient. There's a saying that started being popular a few years back, love wins. Love wins. God's love always wins. So, what do we do with this? Well, again, James is still dealing with sin of partiality. It's evident in my life, in your life, if we're not careful, we can show a bias towards other people by their status in life, their position in life, by the color of their skin, by how they've treated others. God's not interested in that. He's interested in us seeing them through his eyes. To see him through the eyes of our Lord who had compassion, who showed mercy and showed love and mercy triumphs over judgment. Love wins. That's what God wants us to learn from this. Are we allowing mercy to triumph over judgment and proving that love the love of God, working in us and through us, always wins. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you thanking you for the challenge of your word to examine our hearts and our lives even as your children. Because Lord, even as your children, we, we tend to take control back and allow our own fleshly desires to be in control and to do what our flesh wants to do, and that's to look at others in ways that are not the ways that you would want us to look at them, to make judgments against others when it's not our place to judge. It is yours. Lord, forgive us in all the ways that we have failed you. Cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Restore us in the right spirit, allowing your spirit to regain and take control. But Lord, as we do, Help us to realize that when we disobey you, we're not just breaking your law, we're breaking your heart. And Lord, it should break our hearts as well when we realize that. Help us, Lord, to take your word, to live by it. Lord, not by the letter, but by the heart. Help us to live it out through a desire that's found deep within through your spirit. Lord, guide us and use us and help us to truly live out our faith each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We invite you to stand as we sing this song of invitation.